Okay, this is my message for Psalm 44. <clears throat> Here we go. I'll count down just to make it an easy edit. Three, two, one. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Wake up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way and ignore the way we are oppressed and mistreated? For we lie in the dirt with our bellies pressed to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your loyal love. So today, of course, is a slightly different uh, version of a sermon at Revolution. This is an audio-only version. As Saturday's service was canceled because of construction at Heritage and a bunch of people are at a wedding and a whole bunch of other stuff. So because this is a bit different, it might be a good idea for you to go online and find the NET Bible. And you can find that at netbible.org. If you go to netbible.org, make your way to Psalm 44. Obviously, don't do this if you're driving, walking, or you're handling some kind of fire. Psalm 44 is one of those psalms that doesn't end well. And this psalm is a contrast to the last psalm we looked at, Psalm 77. There we had a lament that turned into praise, as the psalmist acknowledged God's faithfulness at the end. But Psalm 44 starts with praise and turns to anger. It plummets from the highs of celebrating victory to struggling with the lows of defeat. And Psalm 44 ends with a cliffhanger. Will God respond to the psalmist's cries or not? So let's make our way through Psalm 44. Psalm 44 for the, excuse me, Psalm 44, for the music director, by the Korahites, a well-written song. Who are the Korahites, by the way? They are descendants of Korah. Korah led a rebellion against Moses. While he and his fellow conspirators were killed, God spared Korah's ancestors, and some of those distant sons became songwriters and wrote multiple psalms, including Psalm 88, which was a second psalm without a happy ending like Psalm 44. Okay, that's my first tangent. Let's go back to the text. Here we go, for real. Psalm 44, verse 1. O God, we have clearly heard. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days in ancient times. You, by your power defeated nations, and settled our fathers on their land. You crushed the people living there and enabled our ancestors to occupy it. For they did not conquer the land by their swords, and they did not prevail by their strength, but rather by your power, strength, and good favor, for you were partial to them. You are my king, O God, decree Jacob's deliverance. By your power, we will drive back our enemies. By your strength, we will trample down our foes. For I do not trust in my bow, and I do not prevail by my sword. 
For you deliver us from our enemies. You humiliate those who hate us. In God we boast all day long, and we will continually give thanks to your name. Salah. In the first part of Psalm 44, the psalmist acknowledges Israel as a country only because God made Israel a country. He asked God to grant Israel victory over its enemies because he knows Israel won't win without better physical weapons like bows and arrows or swords. But Israel will only win because of the power of God. In verse 8, the psalmist says he will continually give thanks to God. So this seems like a pretty straightforward psalm until Salah. Salah is difficult to define, but according to Strong's Dictionary, this is most likely a technical musical term indicating a pause or interruption. I kind of think of it as one of those songs that may begin with a gentle acoustic guitar with vocals fit for a choir and then a pause and all of a sudden the epic death metal begins. And with this psalm, it seems like Salah is a pause before the epic death metal begins. Let's go to Psalm 44, verse 9. But you, God, rejected and embarrassed us. You did not go into battle with our armies. You made us retreat from the enemy. Those who hate us take whatever they want from us. The psalmist accuses God of abandoning Israel and allowing it to be defeated. Israel is powerless as a result of God's inaction as its enemies steal whatever they want from Israel. And the psalmist is basically saying here, this is all God's fault. We lost, we are mocked by our enemies, and it is God's fault. Before we continue in the text, we need to go off on tangent number two. We don't know what battle the psalmist is referring to, or even if this is a battle that is mentioned in the Bible, and and this appears to be intentional. According to the Tyndale commentary on the Psalms, Psalms are written in such a way for the writer to not only express their thoughts and feelings in a particular situation, but to give others, and even us, a chance to use these Psalms in our interactions with God. Let's head back to the text, verse 11 in Psalm 44. You handed us over like sheep to be eaten. You scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance. You did not ask a high price for them. Basically, the psalmist is saying here, God didn't sell Israel on eBay or Facebook marketplace for a profit. But God dumped Israel off at goodwill, and he didn't even grab a receipt for tax purposes. It was almost like God wanted to get rid of Israel as easily as possible in the eyes of the psalmist. 
Back to the text, 44, verse 13. You made us an object of disdain to our neighbors. Those who live on our borders taunt us and insult us. You made us an object of ridicule among the nations. Foreigners treat us with contempt. So in verse 14, we get this phrase, object of ridicule. And what, what, what this could mean, what I think it means, is that the nations have written songs mocking Israel because of Israel's defeat. Think the Taylor Swift song, All Too Well, a song mocking a former boyfriend. This is what Israel feels like right now. This is what the psalmist is thinking right now, that God abandoned them, led them to defeat, and now the nations surrounding Israel are mocking them, is mo are, are, are mocking Israel with their songs. Here is Psalm 44, 15. All day long I feel humiliated and am overwhelmed with shame before the vindictive enemy who ridicules and insults me. One of the challenges in getting the most out of Scripture is trying to understand the context in which Scripture was written. For this part of Psalm 44, we have to understand, at least on a surface level, that the songwriter lives in an honor-shame culture. So when we think of an honor-shame culture, we are referring to the ongoing gain or loss of esteem by one's peers, family, social class, and city, according to author Michael Gorman. So for example, Israel wins a battle. Other nations will say, God is with you. So Israel is honored. But Israel loses a battle. Other nations say, your God has abandoned you, and Israel is ashamed. What the nations have to say about Israel really affects the people of Israel. Here's verse 17. All this has happened to us, even though we have not rejected you or violated your covenant with us. We have not been unfaithful nor have we disobeyed your commands. Yet you have battered us, leaving us a heap of ruins overrun by wild dogs. You have covered us with darkness. If we had rejected our God and spread out our hands in prayer to another God, would God not discover it? For he knows a person's secret thoughts. Israel had a covenant with God, a contract. And for Israel's part, if it stayed loyal to God, if it followed the Lord God and no other gods, then Israel would prosper. Israel would be victorious in battle. Here, in this psalm of defeat, the psalmist is saying, We have been loyal. We haven't broken your covenant. We didn't lose this battle because we served some other God. We kept our end of the contract. Of course, we've heard people say this before, right? I didn't do it. It's not my fault. 
And of course, that same person did in fact do it, and it is that person's fault. But then the psalmist acknowledging this says that God knows when he's lying. He can't pull a fast one on God. The psalmist knows this. And so we, we can still be cynical about the psalmist's claim for sure. But I also think we can believe the psalmist when he says, Israel did not break its covenant, and it is not suffering defeat because it was disloyal towards God. Back to Psalm 44, verse 22. Yet because of you, we are killed all day long. We are treated like sheep at the slaughtering block. Remember when Keanu Reeves said, whoa, in the first Matrix film? This is the movie quote I thought of when reading Psalm 44:22. To me, this is the darkest moment in this song. Let me read it again. Yet because of you, we are killed all day long. We are treated like sheep at the slaughtering block. The NET Bible has a footnote here for verse 22 relating to the phrase, because of you. Because of you may simply indicate that God is the cause of the Israelites' defeat, where the nation's situation is attributed directly to God's activity. Or, it may suggest they suffer because of their allegiance to God. Either way, God is to blame for Israel's defeat. God has broken the covenant. He violated his contract with Israel. And yet Israel is the one that suffers. There's also a phrase in here, sheep to be slaughtered. Make a mental note of that phrase. Okay, finally, the climax to Psalm 44. Here we are, verse 23. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Wake up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way and ignore the way we are oppressed and mistreated? For we lie in the dirt with our bellies pressed to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your loyal love. How is God going to respond to the psalmist's cry? Rescue us because of your loyal love. We don't know. We don't know. However, we do know two things from reading Psalm 44. One, the psalmist is still singing. He hasn't given up on singing out to God and asking for his help. And two, in the last line of Psalm 44, the psalmist mentions God's loyal love. Even though the psalm, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, even though the psalmist insinuates God has broken his covenant, even though he thinks God is asleep at the wheel, he still acknowledges God's loyal love, God's commitment to love the psalmist and Israel.
earlier, I said we can use this psalm to cry out to God during our defeats, whatever they may be, with, with family, with jobs, or with health. But are we going to be left hanging like the psalmist? Are we going to be left wondering if God will wake up? A couple minutes back, I said to make a note of the phrase, sheep to be slaughtered. This line was repeated years and years and years after it appeared in Psalm 44 by the Apostle Paul in one of the most powerful chapters of the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8. Let's read Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39. Who will separate us? from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we encounter death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying something that isn't easy for me to accept. No matter our defeats, God isn't going to break his contract with us. He still loves us. Not only that, Paul uses a term here, a Greek word, hypernikeo. And I apologize, I, I don't really know biblical Greek, so if my pronunciation is off... Um, I'm sorry about that. But I wanted to mention this word nonetheless. Hypernikeo. Complete victory. What Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8 is that no matter the losses we suffer now, we are going to win the Super Bowl. We are going to win the lottery, not one of those small $1,000 prizes, but one of the big ones. Navy is going to beat Army. So, we can relate to the psalmist, and we can use Psalm 44 during our own times of defeat. But we know something that the people of the Old Testament didn't know. We have an opportunity to trust that even though life can be hard and cruel and doesn't make sense, we are going to win and rise above all of those troubles because God is awake. How do we know this? Because he rose from the dead and he said he is going to fix this world and all of its problems, we will have complete victory. But as we know, 
that complete victory hasn't come yet. So what do we do until God does, in fact, complete this victory he says we're going to partake in? I suggest we celebrate Thanksgiving. In 1863, in the middle of the bloodiest war in American history, Abraham Lincoln said, the country should give thanks to God on the last Thursday of November. His proclamation is amazing to read because he doesn't ignore the terrible consequences of war. He mentions the widows and orphans. He doesn't tell us to pretend that everything is okay. But he says we can thank God nonetheless for what we do have. We're wrapping up the end of our year-long series on the Psalms. I hope you finished the reading plan we put together on the Psalms. Although, to be honest with you, if you have, you're a better person than me because I, I have not finished the reading plan. But even if you've read one psalm or 10 or 50, try to read whatever you can because the psalms capture the ups and downs of life, the joys and struggles of trusting a God who doesn't always make sense, but who is telling us we will have the complete victory in the end. Jesus, who quoted the Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament, quoted a Psalm when he was dying on the cross. And this week, if you are in a bad place, use Psalm 44 and shout to God to wake up. But after turning to Psalm 44, turn to Romans chapter 8. Let all these words sink in. God is going to give us complete victory. And until then, we can be thankful for what we do have and for that day of complete victory when in fact it does come, no matter how bad today may be. Am I going to follow my own advice? Honestly, it's hard for me to be thankful when I'm struggling. Honestly, it's hard for me to believe nothing can separate me from the love of God when I'm suffering a significant defeat. But I am going to try to be like the psalmist in Psalm 44 and try to keep singing and keep praying and keep trusting in God's loyal love until that complete victory does in fact come. Everyone have a great Thanksgiving and we'll see you next Saturday as we begin our time of Advent.